The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, if you'll turn there with me. Hannah's prayer. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord, for there's none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Let's go before the Lord and pray. Our Father, we are so deeply grateful for your faithfulness, and we pray that this morning by the Holy Spirit that you would exalt it even more in our sight. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts and our minds with faith, that we would look to you and put all of our hope in your faithfulness. Oh God, be a rock for our lives today. Be a shield in our lives today. Be the great foundation in our lives today. Be our everything today. And Father, for those who are suffering today, I pray that they would feel free to bring their cares into God's house of prayer And I pray that they would feel free to express their needs to you and their wants to you, their hopes to you, their hurts to you. And I pray, Father, with all of my heart that you will hear and answer. I pray today that you will make us joyful in your house of prayer as you listen to everything we have to say by the grace of Christ and for the glory of Christ. We pray these things. Amen. In the days of the judges, when the people of Israel were living in almost total political and religious chaos, God was actually plotting for the people's good. God was plotting to fulfill his purposes and all of his promises and his plans for them on their behalf. God was plotting to bring his people to the place where they could say with all of their heart that the Lord was their God, even as God had said that they were his people. Indeed, as we learned a couple of years ago from the books of Judges and Ruth, because God is faithful, his covenant is unbreakable. 
because God only says what he means and because he always means what he says, we can put all of our trust in his words. Because God has the power to enact all of his promises, we can put all of our trust in his promises. You may remember that the book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy and that that genealogy culminates in David. So it brings our attention to this young man who would one day rise as the king of Israel. And we saw when we studied the book of Ruth that this was really a grace from the Lord because in the very days when Israel was in chaos, in the very days when the judges were, were trying to lead God's straying people into, into his presence and into a place of faithfulness, the Lord himself was plotting to rise up a king who would himself point to another king. And so we begin again at 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel picks up where Ruth left, left off and tells us about the life of, of Samuel and of the life of Saul and of the life of King David. But beloved, over the next year, we're going to see that along the way, the book of 1 Samuel is still fundamentally about the faithfulness of God. Will you please flip over with me to chapter 12, verse 22? I believe that this is the theme verse of the whole book, and it's something we're going to emphasize all year long this year. Samuel was speaking to the people, and in chapter 12, verse 22, he said this. He said, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Now it's gonna take us a few months to get to chapter 12 in our journey through this book. But when we get there, we're gonna see that at the time Samuel spoke these words, Israel was in utter chaos. And the chaos of the country makes his words all the more meaningful. Because he spoke these words in a time when we would expect God to finally have had enough with his people and to walk away from his people. Samuel spoke these words at a time when we would have come to the conclusion that God had waited long enough. By the time we come to chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, God had been dealing with Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years, beloved. His patience had not lasted for days or weeks or months or just a few years. It had lasted for centuries. And by the time we get there, we would expect God to say, you know what, that's enough. I have been patient enough I have been steadfast enough, and now it's time for me to walk away. But instead, in the midst of their rebellion, the Lord speaks these amazing words. For the Lord will not forsake his people for the sake of his name, for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And I find so much meaning in the word you. These are the yous that are rebelling against God. These aren't the faithful ones. These are the faithless ones. And God is saying, I'm not going to give up on you. I am never going to give up on you. I'm going to make you a people for myself. What an amazing God we serve, beloved. While they were still sinners, God was plotting for their good. While they were walking away from the Lord, the Lord was walking toward them. While they were breaking their promises to God day by day by day, God was reiterating his promises to them year by year, century by century. While they were being faithless, God was demonstrating the fact that he is faithful. Beloved, I'm telling you, 1 Samuel is about the faithfulness of God. And it's about a people who discovered that God is faithful. 
And over the next year as we journey through this book, I pray that above all things that we'll have eyes to see more of the heart of our Father and that we'll have ears to hear the witnesses of ancient people who would look to us and say, put all of your faith in the faithfulness of God. He can be trusted. When we were faithful, God was faithful. When we were faithless, God remained faithful. God has purposes. He makes promises. He has plans and he keeps them all. You can put all of your trust in him. Put all of your hope in him. Forsake all other hopes and put your hope in God alone. Beloved, that's what 1 Samuel is about. And I really pray with my whole heart that we will grow in the depth of knowledge of these things. That God will put a rock under our feet that will guide our lives for many, many years to come indeed until the day we see our Savior face to face. So let's begin now by turning our attention to a little town that was just northeast of Jerusalem. In the latter days of the judges, there was this little town called Ramah. It was just a little north, a little east of Jerusalem. And in that town lived a small family. The man of the house was named Elkanah, and he was married to a woman named Hannah, whose name means grace. Elkanah was a good husband, and he loved Hannah with all of his heart. She was his pride and joy, but she was unable to have children. And in their days, the the man had to be able to produce offspring. This was a very important part of their culture. And so since he was unable to produce offspring with his wife, he married another woman named Peninnah. She was able to bear him many sons and many daughters. I want us to understand that even though it was the custom of the day to do this, I want us to understand that Elkanah's heart was not to commit adultery here, and his heart was not to be unfaithful to his wife. His heart was not to even be a polygamist. He was trying to fulfill a cultural duty to produce an offspring. I don't think this was a good decision. I don't think it was something God commanded. But I do want us to understand that he was not simply an adulterer. This guy was not a guy with a massive lust problem. This was a guy who loved his wife with all of his heart, but felt that he had to find a way to have children. And so he went and married Peninnah. And again, I'm not trying to justify his actions. I just want to make sure we're convicting him of the right crime, you know, and that we'll have some grace toward him. Every year at the appointed time, Elkanah would take his family down to the town of Shiloh. It was about a day's journey away, and the tabernacle of God was kept there in those days, and there they would worship the Lord according to the commands of the Lord. And you would think that for their family, and especially for a man who had such love for God, that these would be uh, good times of worship for them, memorable times of worship for them. But the Bible tells us that for Hannah, these times were actually torturous. And I do mean that word. They were emotionally torturous. While her husband loved her dearly and sought to even give her a double portion of all the blessings there at the annual feast, her counterpart Peninnah, her husband's other wife, was cruel to her every single year. And in the very presence of God, Peninnah would provoke and emotionally torture Hannah over the fact that she was unable to have children. And I just wonder if you could put yourself in her place and feel her pain just a little bit. The Bible tells us plainly, it tells us clearly that God himself was the one who had closed Hannah's womb up. God had a plan for Hannah's life. 
He was going to glorify himself in her and through her in a particular way. And this required that she suffer for just a little while in order that God could get glory for his name. Her suffering was not arbitrary. Her suffering was no personal shame. It was actually the work of God in her life. But Peninnah, beloved, was a woman of the flesh. She did not see with God's eyes. She saw with the eyes of the flesh. And so instead of praising Hannah for being faithful to God, she shamed her. She shamed her horribly. Technically, Hannah was the first in line and Peninnah was the last. Technically, Hannah was the one in power and Peninnah was the one out of power. But because Hannah was barren and Peninnah was fertile, the roles reversed, you see. And Peninnah, even though she didn't have position, she had the power and she used that power against this sacred woman. And she publicly shamed her right in the presence of God. And I just wonder if you could feel her pain. I know that a couple of you at least have struggled with infertility at some point in your life and so maybe to some extent you can uh, relate to what Hannah was experiencing. But I wonder if you could wonder, adding to this, the, the pain of emotional brutality in the house of God. Can you imagine being a woman and, and a, a man struggling with infertility and you come into church expecting to be comforted by God and his people? And instead of receiving comfort, you're actually publicly shamed by another woman who is fertile and uses God's grace in her life to cast shame and dispersion upon you. So in addition to the emotional pain you have of not being able to have a child, you also have this cultural shame coming from a person who doesn't know what it means to live by grace. Beloved, this was Hannah's pain. And for her, it was very severe. In fact, it was so severe, it says that whenever they would sit down to the feast, she wouldn't even be able to eat. She was in such turmoil in the house of God that she couldn't enjoy the very best portions of the very best food that was put before her. Her suffering was to the point even where she wouldn't be comforted by her husband. Again, as I tried to explain a minute ago, this man really loved her. And he sat her down, I'm sure, more than one time and said to her plainly, Hannah, Am I not better to you than ten sons? I've given you everything. I've given you my heart. I've given you my soul. And sure, I took this woman to bear me children, but you have me. You have my heart. You're my woman. Am I not better to you than many sons? But beloved, Hannah would not be comforted. There are some women, I think, who struggle with infertility, and they won't be comforted because, frankly, they've made an idol of needing a child. They've thought too much of a child and not enough of God. But this was not Hannah's heart, beloved. Hannah had a longing that God himself put inside of her heart for a child. God was on the move, not just for Hannah, but for his people. In fact, for us. And he planned to use this young woman to do great things. But she had to suffer for a little while, and so in her heart, She just could not release the pain because God, in her case, had put that pain inside of her. And I just wonder again, can you feel what she might have felt? Could you you imagine what it would be like to suffer to that extent where you just simply cannot be comforted? One year, when the feast was done and she just couldn't take it anymore, she rose up from the table and she ran to the tabernacle of God and she cried out to the Lord and she cried out loud, 
She was hurting deeply and she wept bitterly. She wasn't trying to hide. She wasn't trying to keep herself subtle. She just couldn't hold it in anymore and she let it out. She burst out in tears and she said to the Lord in the depths of her heart, Oh Lord, if only you will see my shame. Oh Lord, if only you will hear my prayer. Oh Lord, if only you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. I will offer him to you. And what she meant was that after he was weaned, she would bring her child to the tabernacle, drop him off there, and allow the priest to have him, to raise him, to teach him to be a servant of the Lord. She was saying, God, if you give me a son, I will literally give that son back to you. I will withhold from myself the pleasure of raising him in my own home. Beloved, Hannah was in terrible pain, but she did something that's very honorable, and I pray that each of us will learn from her. She brought her pain into the house of God. She brought her pain right into the presence of God. Do you remember in 1 Peter where he said, cast your cares upon the Lord because the Lord cares for you? Well, Hannah never heard that verse, but that sentiment was inside of her heart. And here is a true woman of God whose heart is after God and she brought her pain to the Lord. And I just wonder if some of you are in a place like that today where you need to bring your pain to the Lord too. Probably only a few of us have ever struggled with infertility and and I'm not aware of any that are struggling with that now. Perhaps you are, pardon me if I've forgotten that. But one thing I think we've probably all struggled with is at some point we've had the pain of unfulfilled expectations in life, have we not? This is what, by the way, this is what uh, midlife crisis is about. Midlife crisis is not about sex. Midlife crisis is about the pain of unfulfilled expectations. And I wonder if you're in a place like that today where you've wanted something so much and so bad and for so long and God has withheld it from you and withheld it from you and withheld it from you and you feel the deep pain of that. Well, if that's you, beloved, I wanna encourage you to follow Hannah right into the house of God and to let him know your pain. Or maybe you have a different kind of pain in your life today that's not directly related to what Hannah went through. I don't know what it is, but beloved, I want to encourage you to follow this great woman of God into the house of God and express your pain to him. He cares about you. Isn't it amazing news that God, he's the God of the universe. I mean, take some time. Go to HubbleSite.org and look at how big this universe is and just realize that it's the smallest glimpse of the greatness of God. And this God calls his throne the throne of grace, right? The throne of grace. And he says in Hebrews as clearly as he could say it, that if we will come to that throne of grace, we will find, literally it says, a well-timed help. We will find well-timed help. So I want to encourage us today to follow Hannah into the presence of God and let our pain to be known to him. And I actually want to take just a second right now and pause the message and pray and just give you a few seconds to sit in silence and speak your pain to the Lord. This won't be enough time to do all the business you need to do with him, but maybe it'll get the process started and then after church you can spend more time with him. So let me just pray a brief prayer and then I'll be silent for just a few seconds and then we'll continue. Father, I thank you so much for calling your throne the throne of grace, and I thank you so much for inviting us into that place where we can express our cares and express our pain, and I pray that you would help your people to do that just now. And Father, we thank you for what you'll do.
Father, we praise your name because you see all of our pain. You see the pain that we have caused. You see the pain that circumstances have caused. You see the pain that you yourself have caused because you have a greater purpose in our lives. You see it all. You understand it all. And you hear the cries of the humble. And so I pray now, Father, that you will have heard our prayers. And I pray that especially later today that we could follow up with you and to talk more with you. And I pray that you would meet us in your house of prayer, that you would minister to us in your house of prayer, Father, that you would make us joyful in your house of prayer. And I thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Turning our attention back to Hannah. She was so overwhelmed with her pain as she poured her heart out to God that the Bible says, and I wonder if you've ever prayed like this. I've actually had this experience a time or two where her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. Or maybe you've had kids and they're so, they're trying to, they're upset and they're trying to say something and they're like, you know, like they're, the, the mouse moving, but no sound is coming out. This is the level of pain she had. But she didn't care how it all appeared. She just had to get her heart out to God. Well, Eli, the main priest of Israel at the time, was standing at the tabernacle and he's watching this happen. She, he's watching this woman do what she's doing and he just assumes that she's drunk. And she probably looked pretty drunk. This summer while I was on sabbatical, I spent a lot of time down in the city and I saw plenty of people walking around that probably would have looked something like Hannah. And I can imagine Eli's perception. I don't think he was being judgmental. I just think that he thought that she was not in a good spot in her life. And so out of love, not out of judgmentalism, but out of love, he rebuked her. And he basically was trying to woo her back into the presence of God and away from alcohol, away from false promises, away from false hopes and false things. But Hannah looked up to to him and said, sir, I'm not drunk at all. In fact, she said these words that I find very significant. She said, I am not a worthless woman. All those words seem so meaningful to me because it helps me understand how she felt inside of her heart. I don't know how you're perceiving what Hannah was experiencing with Peninnah and the whole dynamics in the family, but inside it made her feel like a worthless person. And so she looks at the priest and says, oh, sir, I am not a worthless woman. As he listened to her speak, as he saw her eyes, as he felt her heart, he believed her. And I believe, this doesn't say it explicitly in the text, but when I think about what he said, I believe that the Spirit of God came upon Eli and he actually spoke a prophetic utterance over her in chapter 1, verse 14, or 17, I'm sorry, if you'll look there. He simply said these words, go in peace, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. I don't hear this, beloved, just as the kind blessing of a priest. Like, like, okay, I can accept the fact that you're not drunk. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're prayed. Go in peace. Have a nice day. I think he's saying, go in peace. God has heard your prayer. God is going to do the thing that he has promised that he is going to do. And, I, and I, one of the reasons I think this is because this is how Hannah took it. Hannah heard what the priest said and felt that her prayer had been heard so much so that she went back to the feast and for the first time in many years she sat down at that table and she ate with her family. She enjoyed the double portion that the Lord had set before her and it says in verse 18 that she was no longer sad. And I hope you can see the the uniqueness of the joy that she had in this moment. Her pain had now turned into joy, but it was not the joy of gloating. This was the joy of a woman of faith. 
This was the joy of a woman who had prayed and received assurance in the house of God that her prayer had been heard. And even though she didn't see with her eyes the answer quite yet, she had the joy of one whose prayer had been answered. A year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now, Kim and I prayed for a new place to live. And we were praying and seeking the Lord and asking him to provide. And I got the greatest sense of peace and assurance that he heard my prayer and he would provide the perfect place for us. I felt assured that the Lord would give us special places where we could spend time with him and and grow in him and serve him and be with him and all of that. And beloved, just this week, we moved into that place. And now I see with my eyes what I had received by faith 18 months ago. And I want to tell you, the joy that I have now is not higher than the joy that I had then. Because I believed my father had heard my prayer and that was enough for me. That was the kind of joy Hannah had in this moment. She didn't even have the sun in her hands yet. And yet she had the joy of a woman whose prayers had been heard. And I pray that for some of us, we'll get that joy in God's house today. For some of you, you have significant things that you need to plead with God about. And I don't know what he will answer you. I don't know for sure that he's going to give you every single thing that you're asking for just in the way that you're asking for. He's a good parent, and so sometimes he adjusts our request, doesn't he? Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says kind of, (laughs) sometimes he says later. I don't know what his answer will be, but what I'm praying for is that you will gain the insurance that God has heard your prayer today. That you will taste Hannah's joy by knowing the God who hears those who cry out to him in faith. When the feast was over, Elkanah and his family returned home, and Hannah shared with her husband all that the Lord had did. And by faith, they shared in a time of intimacy together, and by a miracle, God blessed Hannah, and she became pregnant after so many years. After so much suffering, she became pregnant, and in due time, she bore a son, and she named that son Samuel. His name means heard of God, or God has heard. Oh, beloved, this shamed woman went into the house of God and found honor because God exalts the humble and God humbles the exalted in his own time and in his own way. As for that family, they continued traveling down to Shiloh year by year, but Hannah thought that it was best for her to stay back in their hometown of Ramah when the family went down to the feast because she thought that she should spend her time weaning her son. Now, for us, weaning generally means the time when a child goes off of their mother's milk, and and that was part of it in the Hebrew culture, but for them, the broader idea was that a child would be weaned when they had been properly taught the Word of God. So probably she was talking about weaning him until he was six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in that range. So just to be clear, her request from her to her husband was that she could stay back from the feast for six or eight years in order to train her son in the way that he should go, and then when those years were up, she would take him to the tabernacle and leave him there for good. Elkanah agreed to the plan. He just said, Hannah, make sure you follow through. Like, don't get too attached to the boy, and just know the day's gonna come when you have to let him go, but otherwise, God be with you. Wean your child, teach your child, raise your child, enjoy your child, enjoy your God, enjoy the the beauty of answered prayer. And Hannah did just that, beloved. Oh, oh, the joy I've had thinking about what it must have been like to be Samuel. 
You know, when, when we come to see all that Samuel becomes, you know, over the next month, just keep remembering that it all started with a mother who invested her heart and soul into this boy. This mom gave her everything to him in these years, and I just can't help but think that all that she invested in the beginning, all that she invested into the roots of his life is the thing that produced all the fruit of his life by the grace of God. When the time was right, she brought him down to Shiloh, and she presented him to the priest along with all of the offerings. And thanks be to God, Eli, he was a little bit old, but he remembered her, he remembered the situation, he received the boy, and the Bible just says that Samuel worshipped there, the boy worshipped there, which means that he lived there, he served the Lord there, he worshipped there. By the great grace of God, when Hannah dropped the child off, she was clothed with the spirit of prophecy, and she sang out a prayer that gave glory to God and that told of his ways and that prophesied of a king and that I think even pointed to Jesus himself at the end of of, of verse 10 and maybe even in the middle of verse six. She burst forth with a prayer that even became the prototype, if you will, for Mary's song in Luke chapter one. She gave glory to God and said these words. Let me grab my Bible and let's just read again the prayer that Carmen had read for us earlier from chapter two. Just remember, this is a spontaneous overflow of a thankful woman in the presence of the Lord. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted. That means my strength is exalted. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Why? For the Lord is a God of knowledge. I take that to mean God knew exactly what he was doing. And how dare you cast dispersion on the good plans of God. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Are you hearing that? She's prophesying of resurrection, beloved. It's a humble, happy, prayerful woman being used of God to prophesy about resurrection, amazing. The Lord makes makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And without going into too much detail, I think the end of verse 10 refers first to David, but then David is just a prophecy of Jesus. 
And again, if you compare this prayer to the prayer of Mary in Luke chapter one, you're gonna see lots of overlaps. And I wanna encourage you to do that because more, more importantly, I just want us to see that the spirit of God was at work a thousand years before Christ came to the earth using this humble woman who prayed her heart out in the house of God to point to Jesus who is ultimately our hope and who is ultimately the one who demonstrates the faithfulness of God to his people. Oh, beloved, I hope that you can see that God turned Hannah's pain into tremendous joy because he is faithful, because he is in total control of everything. He was in total control of the circumstances of her life. He was in total control of the circumstances of the nation. He was in total control even of the suffering that she had to endure. And all she did was come humbly into the house of God and say, Father, here is my heart. And he answered her prayer. Again, I don't know exactly what the Lord would say to each of us, but I do know, I think at least I know, what Hannah would have us do. I think Hannah would have us follow her into the house of the Lord and express our hearts to him and trust him for whatever answer he would give. Maybe he would grant your exact request, maybe he would not, but that's actually not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we would be heard by God in the house of God. And so I'm gonna close this morning again by having another time of prayer. And rather than gathering up like we've been doing the last few weeks, I just wanna remain seated as we are. And I wanna pray out for just a minute here. And then I wanna invite you this time to just pray out loud if that's on your heart or to pray in your heart if that's what's on your heart. But one way or the other, let's just take a few minutes now and give our thanks to God, pray our prayers to God. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this time in your house of prayer And I ask that by your spirit now that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would cause us to pray in a way that is pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, that you would hear us. I pray that you would answer us. Our God and our Father, we thank you again for the privilege of coming into your house of prayer at all. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you and of knowing that your throne is the throne of grace. We thank you for the privilege of being able to cast all of our cares upon you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to express all of our anxieties to you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to do life with you, to follow Hannah into the house of God where you can hear our prayers and make us joyful in your own time and in your own way. Father, you are infinitely wise. And you have exactly the right wisdom for everybody's situation today. And I pray that as we pray that you would make your wisdom clear. I pray that you would make it plain. I pray that you would make it evident. I pray that you would show each of us the way that we should go. And I pray, Father, that as we see clearly the things that we should do, as we see clearly the way in which we should go, I pray that you would give power for us to walk in your will and in your ways. Oh, Father, help us to plead, to praise, and to obey in your presence today. And Father, please be pleased as we rise to sing to you one more song. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.